0: So I want you to think of a time you felt rejected. We all pick up rejection along the way. Maybe right now you're picturing certain kids in your middle school. (laughs) Maybe you're hearing some words that were recently said to you. Maybe you're picturing the person who ghosted you or who dumped you, the boss who blocked you from moving up, the one who laid you off, the person who said something about you on social media. Maybe something happened this week. When you and I experience rejection, we, we usually say something like, he hurt my feelings, or she broke my heart, or it felt like getting punched in the gut. Well, a neuroscientist named uh, Matthew Lieberman wondered why it is we describe rejection that way, as if we are physically hurt. So, he devised a study. He would have, one at a time, a study subject come into the lab and play an online video game called Cyberball. And wa- their brain would be scanned during the time they were playing Cyberball. And in the game, what you do is you play with two computerized players. So there's, there's one real test human being and two computerized avatars in the game. And the game is cooperative. It's, it's catch and throw, and everybody gets to catch, and everybody gets to throw. But at some point during the game, the software makes it so that the computerized players start playing Keep-away and they only toss it to each other, and they will not toss it to that human who's trying to play the game. Now, even though this is kind of a silly game, and it's in a lab, the research subjects started feeling distress. And when they came out of the scanner, they kept talking to the researchers about how rejected they felt and how upset they were. But the really interesting thing, part of the study, is what happened in their brains when they got rejected. It turns out that the brain scan of someone feeling rejected is like the brain scan of someone with a broken leg. The doctors say you can't tell them apart. Well, how does Jesus respond to those hurt by rejection, including you and me? Well, the answer to that question, friends, made me fall in love with Jesus all the more. And I invite you to come with me tonight and just watch him work. I call this the tale of the two rejects. We meet reject one, actually, in John 8:58, just two verses before our passage. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, this is how they kill people, friends. This is like pulling guns. And, but, the text says, Jesus was hidden from them, we don't know exactly how, and he left the temple. So, he survives this attempted lynching. But as he walks away, his body is no doubt feeling the trauma of that. I remember one time I was in Chicago and uh, I was walking toward a church to go in for a friend's wedding and like six guys out on the street in this old 98 with the windows down, saw me and started yelling at me and threatening me and they pulled their car in off the road into the lot and I said to my wife, walk quick. And uh, I don't forget what that felt like right then. And Jesus has just walked out of something more dangerous than that. Well, as Jesus is processing the rejection toward him, the death threats, he meets reject number two. He saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Now, this guy has known nothing but darkness since the day he was born. He does not know what it looks like to have his mother smile. He doesn't know what it looks like to have sun glinting off water. All these beautiful things. And in his day, if you are born blind, there is zero hope for you. Doctors then would treat your blindness by purging. That sounds fun. Or bloodletting, even more fun. The best doctors of the day used incision and drainage on you, but it's still pointless. You're no better than before. And even today, 2,000 years later, we have nothing to cure congenital blindness. Doctors can now take an adenovirus and they modify it with a gene called RPE65 and inject that into the subretina of the eye. And this advanced gene therapy can sometimes improve vision that's lacking, but it cannot cure blindness. So if blindness isn't enough of a challenge for this guy, this guy is also, get this, rejected and judged for it. The disciples asked Jesus, hey, Rabbi, who was, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins? Or was it because of his parents' sins? It has to be one of them. And so everybody who walks by this guy assumes he's in this condition because he's such a bad person. Or maybe his family is. Now, before we put down these people for that kind of, kind of punitive mindset, we might note that just a couple years ago, Pew Research Center asked American adults, how do you make sense of suffering? And seven out of 10 U.S. adults just two years ago said that suffering is, quote, mostly a consequence of people's own actions. So, Jesus sees a man with physical limitations and now with judgment heaped on, on him, and on top of that, This guy is reduced to begging. He's in an agricultural society where just about all jobs require you to be able to see. And he can't. Remember, there's no braille. There's no text to audio. This guy has never felt and will never feel the satisfaction of earning his own income. He's unemployed, he's poor, he's dependent, and he always will be. So on top of being limited and judged and poor, Get this. The guy is labeled. He's not called by his name. The other people call him, isn't that the guy who used to sit and beg? He's the guy who sits and begs. He's not his name. No one seems to know his name. Nobody cares enough to actually find out his name. So if you'll indulge me for the rest of this sermon, I would like to give this guy a name. So I'm going with Isaac because it sounds a little like eyesight. Okay, <laughs> see what I did there? Okay, so Isaac feels rejection on every level. We, it's hard, I think, maybe to just fully appreciate what that's like. Some of you though know this very well, but we get an idea from the research of a, a Dr. Lisa, uh, Lisa Iazzoni. She's a prof of medicine at Harvard, And for 25 years, she's been studying medical care for people with disabilities. And here's what people have been telling her for all this time. When she says, what's it like for you to go to a doctor? Um, They'll say, well, I get there, I can't even get in. It's a doctor's office, I can't even get in with a walker or a cane or a wheelchair. Anybody got a witness for that? I didn't know this was true until my wife had a wheelchair and a walker and those things. And you're like there's orthopedic on the sign. <laughs> okay. And, and Dr. Izoni kept hearing stories about um, like doctors who don't treat you with respect, care that is substandard. So she's like, I got to take this research in a different direction to find out what's going on. So she decided to gather doctors and ask them, what is it like for you to treat patients with disabilities? I promise you, you'll be anonymous. So she got them in the these of uh, video focus groups, and because the focus groups were on Zoom or something like it, the doctor participants could not see that Dr. Iazoni, running the forum has MS and is sitting in a wheelchair. So, quoting now, some doctors said their office scales could not accommodate wheelchairs, so they had told patients to go to a supermarket, a grain elevator, a cattle processing plant or a zoo to be weighed. Some would tell a new patient if they found out the patient had disabilities, I'm sorry, you know, the practice is, is recently closed. One specialist said, you know, disabled patients take too much time and they're, quote, a disruption to clinic flow. Now, you know why this article was titled, These Doctors Admit They Don't Want Patients With Disabilities. Well, Jesus does. (laughs) What does Jesus do for this blind beggar probably sitting in the dirt? First, he does not blame this victim. He says this blindness is not because of his sins. It's not because of his parents' sins. It happens so the power of God could be seen in him. Instead of blaming the victim, what Jesus does is he sees this situation as an opportunity where God can go to work. So here's what he does. Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. If this guy's sitting in the dirt, Jesus cannot be standing and do this. Jesus at least has to kneel down. But more likely, if he's, it's gonna take a while, he's probably sitting in the dirt with this guy. So to help somebody who's in the dirt, Jesus gets down in the dirt. It's almost like he's saying to Isaac, Isaac, do you feel like dirt? Do people treat you like dirt? Well, let me show you what I can do with dirt. So he carefully puts this mud facial on Isaac and tells him, go wash it off in the pool, which he does. And he comes back seeing I imagine this guy's just, like, freaked out. He's just, like, turning, like, what is that? What is that? What do they call that? And, and praising God. So I wonder, you know, Jesus has the power to heal on the spot, and that's the way he usually works. So why is it that he sends this guy? Well, I don't know, but I conjectured a couple, and both of these really gave me, uh, what I say, kind of a, a re- revelation of the heart of Jesus, if, if they're right. First possible reason I thought of is Isaac's had to sit and beg. He spent his whole life helpless and dependent. So Jesus involves him in his healing. Today we would call this giving somebody agency. It says, I respect you enough that I'm not gonna do for you what you can do. Maybe that's it. A second reason And almost certainly part of it is, this is the Sabbath day. No Jewish person is allowed to work like making mud. And so Jesus, who by the way has just nearly been killed, knows, if people see me heal Isaac, they'll arrest me and maybe kill me. But I'm going to heal this guy. So he heals him in a way where he's not with Isaac at the moment. So Isaac can get the healing, and Jesus can stay hidden. So now let's just pause and take in. How does Jesus who's rejected work with somebody who's rejected? Like you and me. He does not blame a victim. He sees our situation as an opportunity for God to go to work. And second, he gets down in the dirt He sits right there with Isaac and using only mud and spit. He does what no one has done before and no one has done since. He cures someone born blind. And he does that knowing full well it's only going to cost him more threats and more rejection. I wonder where some of you are tonight with this. Have you felt rejected because of a disease or a disability maybe you are still carrying the labels a parent put on you you'll never be good at blah blah and that still feels inescapable for you maybe it was an older brother maybe it was kids in your school maybe you've been blamed for things you cannot entirely control i just want you to know jesus sees you He is not walking past you. He will get down in the dirt with you. The rejected Jesus moves toward the rejected. Last year, uh, Christianity Today ran an article called God Wanted Me When the Foster Care System Didn't. The author, Tori Hope Peterson, bounced through, get this, 12 foster homes growing up plus a group home. She says, As I moved through a succession of foster homes, my heart grew increasingly callous toward God and other people. I'm sure. During my junior year of high school, we read Anne Rand's novel, Atlas Shrugged. I found the book intriguing, and watching videos of Rand speaking, I found her more relatable than the Christian women I'd met, because she did not appear gentle or open. She came off as quite angry, which was how I felt. I figured I must be an atheist, just like her. But uh, at that time, her foster parents were taking her to church, and she was also dating the son of a black Pentecostal minister. So every Sunday, she got five hours of doing church. <laughs> and she says, I felt drawn toward the life of Jesus. He touched the lepers Who were not supposed to be touched. He met the woman at the well even as his culture shunned her. So I began asking a youth leader and my foster mom questions about God, and the one question I could not shake revolved around innocent children. If God is so good, why do they suffer? Which is basically her question, of course. All they could answer was, I don't know. She said, uh, I didn't know either, but I did know when I looked at Scripture, I saw a God who didn't shy away from pain, but he embraced it so that others would know love. And she went on actually to a deeper faith. She says, My salvation did not happen in a single grand moment, but through small miracles that gradually chipped away at the scales of skepticism. I saw God more clearly the more time I spent around people who pursued godliness, who told me who I was in Christ despite what I'd done and what had been done to me. She met Jesus, the rejected, who moves toward the rejected. Well, I said this is the tale of two rejects, and now reject number two goes to work. Jesus has sat down in the dirt with him, so now he stands up for the rejected Jesus. Verse 13 they took the man who'd been blind to the pharisees because it was a sabbath violation on the sabbath jesus made mud and healed him and isaac is dragged into this courtroom basically where they literally sit on a platform looking down on him and so he explains he put the mud over my eyes and when i washed it away, i could see the jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see Another rejection. People in power hear your story and they don't believe you. So they called in his parents and they asked him, hey, is this your son? Was he born blind? What happened? And as you know, his parents are like, hey, ask him. We're out of here. Because they are afraid. Now, this is another rejection for Isaac. These are the two people who should be the happiest people in the world that their son was just healed. And he can't get a vote from his parents. They don't stand up for him. I feel for this guy. And what's really astonishing to me is when you've been rejected your whole life, you know how deep that hurts. You'll do almost anything to avoid more of that. And yet Isaac stands in there and just tells the truth knowing it's only gonna get him rejected more. And that's exactly what happens. They curse him, they call him a total sinner and they throw him out. But Isaac stands up and is willing to risk that because he says, I only know one thing. I was blind. Now I'm not. Now I can see. And so the the story ends with him worshiping Jesus. I love this story. It's the rejected Jesus sits down with a rejected man and then the rejected man stands up for the rejected Jesus. Jesus. So what do we do with this tale of two rejects? How do do you and I take this home? Well, I'm going to let you choose. You can either join Isaac or join Jesus. Either one. It's fine. I'll tell you what I mean. If you join Isaac, you might tonight want to worship the rejected Jesus. Thank him that in the very place where you have felt that pain of rejection, like something broken, like being punched in the gut, Jesus knows that firsthand. And he knows what you're suffering right now. And so just open up your hurting heart to thank him for his acceptance of you, his presence with you. Tonight might be the beginning of some really deeper healing for you that's joining Isaac your second option is to join Jesus maybe like some of those people in Torrey Hope Peterson's life you can join Jesus in loving a rejected person a person that you know who is blamed labeled not given a fair shake not really understood what would it be like for you to join Jesus and sit in the dirt with them and to not see them like others do who write them off. They made their bed lying in da-da-da. But you see their situation like Jesus does which is what an opportunity for God to go to work and I'm here. And then Jesus adds this verse. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. Amen.